listening to Footprints on Our Hearts, a podcast about baby loss, legacy, and learning to live again with me, Alison Ingleby. The baby loss community is one that no one wants to join, but together we can break the silence around baby loss and help each other navigate the rocky road that is grief, because all children leave footprints on our hearts. Good morning and welcome to episode 48 of Footprints on Our Hearts and the first episode of 2021. And I've got a special solo show for you today. Um, As you'll know, I took a couple of weeks off the podcast over Christmas and New Year and it really left me a bit of time to have a good think about things and think about my plans for the year ahead And also just to kind of mull over a couple of thoughts on grief and loss and life after loss um, from my perspective, which is about 18, 20 months on from the death of my daughter, Skye. So I've put some of those thoughts together in this show, um, which I think is is perhaps helpful for you, hopefully will be helpful for you at whatever stage of grief you're at. And particularly at this difficult time, the situation we all find ourselves in, having gone back into another lockdown uh, in the UK at least, and lots of really unsettling things going on in the world. And it, it can be it can make grieving even harder um, when you're going through it in such a climate. So um, let's get into this week's show. I think we can agree that 2020 for most people was a really tough year. I feel blessed to have come through it in a better place than many people. We've been lucky enough not to lose anyone close to us. My husband's job is secure and of course we welcomed our beautiful rainbow baby into the world. My heart goes out to all of you who've lost jobs and loved ones over the past year and in particular to those of you who've lost a baby and not been able to access the support you need and deserve. Perhaps the scariest thing for me about 2020 was how the changes to our society and how we react and interact with people became embedded as this new normal. I don't know about anyone else, but I found that my perception of things has become unnaturally skewed. When I see my parents, I no longer rush in for a hug, only to pull back when I remember that we're not supposed to be hugging. Seeing masked faces in the shops has become, well, normal. Not going to the shops has also become normal. We've become so isolated in our homes. The thought of going out for uh, a meal or to the cinema or to the theatre seems to belong to a different life. I even found myself reading a memoir book in which the author meets some friends for lunch in a restaurant, then goes over to the supermarket to have a bit of a browse. And I actually caught myself thinking, what on earth are they doing? Why are they going over to this supermarket when, you know, they don't have to? It's not an essential trip. And I found that really scary, just that my mindset had changed so much over over the last kind of nine months, I guess. I very much hope that 2021 sees a return to normality that involves hugging, human interaction and not being trapped inside our homes. But enough about 2020. That year's now passed and what I really want to focus on in this episode is the year ahead and in particular how we can live with loss without it taking over our lives. 
because 2020 was actually a really important year for me in terms of my grief journey. 2019, as you'll know, was the year my baby daughter Sky was stillborn. At the end of 2019, I was still in a really low place. I wasn't sure what the future would hold, but I was determined by that point to figure it out. And at that point, so that was seven months after Sky died, I'd been through those darkest days, the initial darkest days of grief, and I wanted to be happy again. Um, you know, I still carried that grief with me and I still found it hard to think of her and, you know, not have this overwhelming sadness. But just in my life, I wanted moments of joy and moments of happiness. I just wasn't quite sure how to get there. But if 2019 was my darkest year, then 2020 was the year in which I learned to live again. So what I'm going to talk about is based on my experience and a couple of the people I've spoken to on the podcast, in particular, perhaps those who lost their babies some time ago, as well as a few books I've read to try and better understand myself and figure out how to create the life that I want. And I do want to say before I get started that everyone is on their own grief journey. Yours will be different to mine and different to every other person listening to this podcast. If your loss is still really raw, the kind of raw that means you struggle to get out of bed in the mornings, you can't make it through the day without breaking down and you wonder how your life can ever have meaning or happiness again, then it may be too early for you to listen to this and to think about some of these things. You're still very much in survival mode. I know I've been there and in those early days, the darkness was just too overwhelming to think about the possibility of happiness. If you're in that place right now, then I want to read you this quote, which is from episode 39 of the podcast with Josie Woods. On my really bad days, I look back to that night when I couldn't move from the stairs and I think, you've come so far and you can never imagine yourself coming that far, but you've done it. I hope that one day you'll look back on where you are now and think the same thing. And remember, this episode will always be there for you to listen to when you need it. I've put it out as a New Year's episode, but as we all know, habits, resolutions, change, taking control of our lives, none of that has to happen at New Year. It can happen at any point we choose. I remember my guest in one of the early podcast episodes, Emma Jeffries, talking about how she reached a crossroads in her grief when she was faced with two paths. The first was to carry on down the dark, bitter road she was already on. And the second path was to choose happiness. And she knew that in some ways, choosing that path, the second path would be harder. But in doing so, in choosing happiness, despite her daughter's death, she felt that she was honouring her daughter in the best way possible. In episode 42 of the podcast, Jenny D. Page talks about realizing that she had to give up her broken heart. And in her words, there's part of you that says, if I'm not sad every day for the rest of my life, then I've forgotten my son. And that's a lie that keeps us in bondage to grief. This is something that I definitely felt, not just in the early days of losing Sky, but months afterwards, when the rest of the world seemed to be moving on without me. I felt that if I wasn't sad, then other people would forget that she died. If I dared to be happy, to pretend even that everything was fine, then they'd think that I'd moved on and consigned her to the past, uh, that she was an event that happened rather than a person who I will miss every day of my life. 
Like the mourners of Victorian times, I felt that mourning was a demonstration of my love for my daughter. In a sense, it was and still is, but that doesn't mean it has to define who I am or what I do with my life. And if I'm not feeling sad, if I'm feeling happy, if I've got a good day, then I don't have to hide that under a veil of sadness just to remind the world that she existed. And again, I do feel it's important to mention that I wasn't just putting on this miserable grief face. I was genuinely heartbroken. I still am. I always will be. And, you know, I went through a time when I was properly depressed. You know, I had times when I couldn't get up off the floor or off the sofa. I spent entire days kind of lost. But I do feel that those feelings that I had about not being able to move on for fear that she'd be forgotten, as justified as they felt at the time, held me back from exploring and seeking out the joy in life. And it took me a long time to want to and to be able to choose happiness. So how can we choose happiness while living with loss? How do we build a life that meets our needs and includes the babies that we hold in our hearts? And that's what I want to spend the rest of this week's show discussing. Choosing your word of the year. The new year is a time for setting goals and resolutions for what we want to achieve in the coming year. But goal setting can be a tricky business. I've been guilty in the past uh, several times possibly every year, (laughs) for setting goals that weren't just overambitious, but were largely out of my control. And then, of course, I got depressed when the stars didn't align to help me achieve them. So this year, I'm mostly focusing on processes rather than outcomes. For example, I'm not setting a goal to be happy. That's a pretty vague goal to begin with. And it involves lots of factors that are out of your control. If you have a miscarriage this year, you will understandably feel sad and lost. If you lose your job or have financial worries, you're unlikely to be happy about that. And as 2020 shown us, sometimes something comes out of the blue that is so big and affects your day-to-day life so much that you'd have to feel you'd have to be a robot not to feel down for several weeks or months. So guess setting an abstract goal such as to be happy is not the best choice. But what you can do is identify what things bring you joy and set aside time for those activities. And in the process of doing that, you're likely to be happy at least some of the time, which can then make the moments of grief and darkness that will inevitably come and hit you more manageable. One thing that I find helpful in terms of thinking about my intentions for the year and what I want to achieve is to choose a word that encapsulates what I want to focus on for the year ahead. For me, this is usually from a very personal context, but you know, people also use it for work goals or you know, business goals. It's really less about what you want to achieve and more about who you want to be. It's about feeling in control of your life in what often feels, particularly at the moment, like a very out of control world. For example, your word of the year might be hope, acceptance, compassion, freedom, or balance. So my word of 24 for 2021 is letting go. And yes, I know that's technically two words, but I'm not going to be pedantic about it. It's used as a word in this context. Letting go of things I can't control, letting go of failures, letting go of expectations, letting go of the need to please others, letting go of tension and stress, 
And this is actually the same word as I chose last year. And I've definitely made some progress, particularly around letting go of failures. But the number of things on my to-do list and the pressure I feel around trying to do everything tells me that I still have a long way to go. I want to be able to live more in the moment to accept myself for who I am and dedicate what time I have to the things that are truly most important to me, um, which does involve eating cake (laughs) and possibly making cake. (laughs) Cake is very important. Um, If you've ever read the excellent book, The Boy, the Mole, the Fox and the Horse, you will know just how important cake is. (laughs) Deciding on a word is the easy part. As always, the difficulty comes in using it and living by it, which is what I found. That was my hard lesson from last year, and it's why I've chosen the same word for this year. So what does that work look like? Well, let's say your word for the year is compassion, and that means practicing self-compassion as well as compassion towards others. So that would mean when you have negative thoughts about yourself, it's about being your own best friend and telling yourself it's okay that you're not perfect. It's okay that you're feeling sad and angry because that's part of grief. If you struggle with this and with telling yourself these things and and really believing them, and it does take time, then you may choose to seek external help. So you may choose to speak to a therapist, perhaps read some books, or look for some other resources on self-compassion. It's taking action to make that word a part of your life. And when you take decisions around your life, like big decisions, not just, am I going to have porridge or Cheerios for breakfast? Although that might come into it, depending on what your word is. (laughs) But when you're taking these big decisions, thinking about your word can help you make those decisions. So for example, if your word is freedom and you don't want to be tied down, then you may decide that you don't want to buy that house which has just come onto the market because you prefer to rent and have the freedom to move around instead. Whatever word you choose, it's helpful to keep it at the forefront of your mind so when life challenges you, you can instantly think about it and reflect on it. And you might want to have it as a visual reminder, you might want to put it on your fridge pin it on a wall. If you have a sort of vision board for the year, then it'll be front and centre on your vision board. You might write it at the front of a journal, have it as your screensaver on your phone, or carry it around with you in your purse or your bag. I would love to know what word you've chosen for yourself for 2021 and why. So please do feel free to comment on this podcast post on Instagram if you're on Instagram or email me if you'd like to tell me about your word for 2021. Creating time and space for grief. One thing I found really helpful over the past year is consciously grieving. I'm one of these people who's always juggling plates, creating impossible to-do lists and rushing around. It feels like sometimes that's an easy way to avoid some of the pain of grief, particularly when there are lots of more important things to do. And of course, that is, in air quotes, more important. But the trouble is that grief always catches up with you eventually. And when it does, if you've been burying it in and carrying on with your busy life, rather than just tapping you on the shoulder, it slams into you with the force of a tent and truck then you end up feeling guilty for not grieving and guilty for having a breakdown because you haven't been allowing yourself to grieve. 
Consciously grieving is about creating time and space to remember your baby and grieve their loss. This might be a regular visit to their grave or special place, doing something in their memory, such as training for a charity run, or simply sitting with a candle for an hour in the evening, thinking and talking about them. For me, doing this podcast is one of the ways I've found to grieve. Often talking to other people about their babies stirs up my own feelings of grief and loss. Sometimes this can feel overwhelming, but other times it makes me feel happier to have spoken about her and to have shared someone else's story. For you, listening to this podcast may be your way of consciously grieving, even if you didn't realise it till now. And that was one of the reasons I started it, because when I was grieving in those early days, I sought out podcasts and I felt sad listening to them. And sometimes I cried listening to them, but I felt that connection and I felt able to grieve that way. I still do do that sometimes, or I might, if I'm feeling a a bit blocked, I guess, with my grief, I feel like, you know, I need to let it out. And then sometimes I'll read a book um, about baby loss or about, um, you know, loss of any kind, and that'll help get those tears flowing. And I think we can sometimes be scared of grieving and of feeling that pain and that sadness because those are feelings that instinctively we want to push away. But I think when you do, I guess, open it up to let the grief in and let it run through you, you can then feel a bit lighter afterwards for a few days or weeks. And that's not a bad thing because, you know, no one wants to stay in that dark hole of grief forever Sometimes it's okay to sit there for a while just to catch your breath before you climb out again and face a new day. So, you know, this podcast, well, or this episode, whilst I wanted it to be helpful and I guess perhaps a bit uplifting and inspirational looking ahead to a new year, it still acknowledges that, you know, we are all grieving and that grief is not going to go away. And it's very valid to have time and space to allow that grief to take over for a while. Habits and daily practices. Um, So I have to admit, I've always struggled with developing habits. And yet when I do get into a positive routine or adopt some beneficial habits, I always feel better for it. And I'm currently reading a book called Atomic Habits by James Clear, which is a really interesting look at the science behind how and why we develop good and bad habits. And I'm hoping it helps me to get into some better habits this year. Pardon me. One thing that I struggled with when I was in the early months of grief was the lack of structure in my days and the feeling that I wasn't really getting anything done. And as you'll know, grief steals your decision-making ability to the point where even deciding what clothes to put on or what to eat for dinner feels like a huge, overwhelming decision. I've spoken to several bereaved parents who have dogs and who credit their perfect pooches with keeping them going because having a dog to walk twice a day forces you to get out of the house. It forces you to create that habit of getting up, putting some clothes on, some footwear on and getting out. You get exercise and fresh air on a day when you otherwise might not have made it out of bed. And that's the good thing or the nice thing about habits and routines is that they become so ingrained in you that you don't have to make a decision to do something. You just do it. And I think that's where it can help with grief and particularly those dark days where you can't 
make those decisions. And you don't know what to do with your day. You don't know what will make you feel better. If you have those habits in place, then you automatically, you might get up, you might put on a cup of tea, you might sit down with your cup of tea and read, you might then go out for a short walk and come back. And then your day starts. And that's your morning routine. And even if your mind is not capable of making those decisions, your body will carry you through that routine, because that is what it's used to. One of the challenges of 2020, of course, has been that many of our daily routines have been upended or destroyed, leaving life feeling rather out of control. We've had to adapt and build new routines, but that's hard, particularly when the rules about what you can and can't do feel like they're constantly changing. And I think particularly for those parents who have children of school age, the kind of closures and openings of schools has, again, knocked whole families' routines completely out of the window. So perhaps for 2021, it's worth thinking about developing your own daily practice. And I'm not talking about big, ambitious challenges here. No running marathons or working out for an hour a day, unless, of course, you want to. But what I'm talking about is trying to carve out a small bit of space for yourself. Give yourself a little bit of time. It might only be 10 minutes a day when you're not at anyone's beck and call, when you don't have to be a mum or dad, whether that's to living children or to dead children, you know, your role as a brief parent, find something that gives you the time and space to just be you. So last spring, when we were at the height of the first lockdown, I developed a routine of getting up early and sitting with a cup of tea and a book for 10 minutes before starting the day. I consciously chose an uplifting, inspirational, positive, non-fiction book to read, something that left me feeling good about myself and ready to face the day. And if you're looking for recommendations, <laughs> I'm going to give you some anyway. Two of my favourites were Rising Strong by Brené Brown and Untamed by Glennon Doyle. And one of the things I particularly liked about Untamed is that the chapters are very short. So you know, in some cases, they're just a few pages. So it's a perfect kind of book to pick up, um, read a chapter before you start the day, and then you can mull over what she said for the rest of the day. Really good. So as I said at the beginning, I'm pretty rubbish at developing habitats, habits. So I did fall out of the habit of doing this, particularly as my pregnancy left me more and more tired. But it is something I'd like to get back into the habit of though realistically it might be in the evening rather than the morning to fit in with my life at the moment. So this is definitely a case of do as I say, not do as I do. (laughs) And I think, you know, we often start habits and then drop them. And sometimes that's okay because sometimes we don't need those habits anymore. Um, So I don't think that, you know, negates the benefit you get from, from having had that habit for a period of time. So what could you do during that daily practice? Well, you may decide to use your time to journal, to meditate, go for a daily walk with or without a dog. You may just want to stand outside for a minute in the morning and take four deep, slow breaths. If you're not sure where to start and you want some more ideas, then I'd really recommend checking out The Artist's Way. And this is a book which guides you through developing creative practices And don't worry, you don't have to be an artistic person or a literary genius to do this. It's literally for anyone who wants to nurture their creative side. And I strongly believe 
that everyone has creativity in them. You just have to find out what sparks your passion and what makes you feel creative and alive. There are benefits to doing something every day as it makes it easier to form a habit, but that obviously depends on your life. It may be that if, for example, you're on maternity leave, you may decide to do it five days a week while your partner is at work. Or you may decide to get up half an hour earlier during the week, but have a lie-in at weekends. And there are no rules to this. It's really about finding out whatever works for you and whatever really makes living with loss a little bit easier for you. So it could be that you try a lot of different things and, you know, maybe try one thing for a couple of weeks. And if it's not working for you, then set it aside and try something else. I have tried journaling so many times in the past and it's just not really for me. And, you know, I'm letting go of that this year in my spirit of the word of the year. Um, And I'm not forcing myself to do it because I feel that I should do it because it might make me feel better. Because actually for me, reading or going for a walk is, you know, a a better use of my time in terms of helping me um, live with loss a bit better. Dealing with overwhelm. However positive we feel at the start of the year and whatever good intentions we set ourselves, it's inevitable that at some point we're going to feel overwhelmed. I had a couple of weeks before and over Christmas when I felt completely overwhelmed with grief, life and various emotions that had been building up inside me and not all of them were pretty. And I'm really glad, actually, that I took those couple of weeks off the podcast because I really needed that break. Um, You know, obviously, Christmas is a busy time. Um, Just before Christmas, we had that bombshell from the prime minister that we were no longer allowed to socialise over that Christmas period. And, you know, a lot of the people in the country were plunged into this new tier four. Um, And that really hit me hard. And I needed those couple of weeks to kind of grieve that, I guess, and to, to move on from it. And, you know, here in the UK, we've been plunged into another full lockdown that's likely to last at least six weeks, possibly longer. And I'm sure many of you listening um, found this to be the final trigger to plunge you into overwhelm. And as we know, again, grief contributes to overwhelm and overwhelm can exacerbate grief. In the months following Sky's death, I found I got completely overwhelmed at the prospect of completing even basic day-to-day tasks. And that was without having to deal with a global pandemic and the isolation of not being able to see family and friends. So if you're feeling sad and overwhelmed right now, that is completely normal. And the best thing you can do is whatever you need to, to look after yourself. And on that note, please don't compare yourself to anyone else. You know, your grief is your own journey and you need to take it at your own pace. And besides, most of the time, the people you're looking at on Instagram who seem to have their life together and who are perhaps channeling their grief into something productive, well, behind the scenes, they're often falling apart too. So this is not a time to be pushing yourself into new projects and challenges when you're feeling fragile. It's a time to be kind to yourself, however that manifests in your life. For me, it's going for walks outside, eating cake, reading and forcing myself to let go of expectations. For you, it might be curling up in front of Netflix, taking a long hot bath or treating yourself to a takeaway. 
And remember, we can often spend so much time loving others that we forget to love ourselves. And that's perhaps the most important thing of all. So I want to wrap up this solo episode by emphasising again that this is not about letting go of your babies or your grief. And I'm sure you all know that that's impossible. Grief will always be a part of you, but it doesn't have to be everything that you are. And I'd like to give the final word to one of my podcast guests, the wonderful wonderful Emma Jeffries, who I mentioned earlier. And this is a quote from when she spoke to me about her grief journey. I remember thinking, how sad if in her name you decide to stay on that dark, bitter path. And it's one of the things I preach all the time. Happiness is a choice. On that day, I chose to be happy despite her death. And that was a massive turning point for me. Thank you for listening to this episode of Footprints on Our Hearts. Please help me break the silence around baby loss by sharing the podcast with your friends and leaving a review on iTunes. You can follow me on Instagram at Footprints on Our Hearts and Twitter at Sky's Footprints. For detailed show notes and to support the podcast and help me raise money for Tommies, please visit our website, footprintsonourhearts.com. <laughs>